Hey, welcome everybody. This is Us in Our Cities. My name's Olivia. I'm a hairstylist and many other things, and I'm coming from Quebec City, Canada. Good morning. My name is Antonia. I am your resident lesbian in Los Angeles. I also love all things Hollywood history. Hi, everyone. I am Barbara. I am based in Brooklyn, New York. I am the astrologer of this group, and I am here to talk about sex in the city. So, Antonia, I'd like to pick on you today, and I'd like you to update us on your relationship. How's it going? Give us some details. It's been a while now. Yeah, my relationship is going really well. Um, So I've been dating someone, I guess, to give a little bit of background for, I guess, kind of a couple months. We started dating in March. I suppose we've been official since June. I, you know, I'm all, I think I get hesitant sometimes to be like too excited or too happy about something, but it feels very perfect right now. We're going to Uh, Vegas tomorrow. So I'm excited about that. What would you like to know? Well, when you go to Vegas, do you dress differently and pack outfits that are like more costume? It's my first question. (laughs) I, you know, I still have to pack. That's what I'll be doing right after we record. I would say I mostly dress the same. I'll usually pack one like potentially clubby outfit just in case the opportunity arises. But I think I'll be wearing a lot of jumpers and rompers and I don't know, shorts and little tank tops, which is what I wear around here too. What do you call a jumper? Cause I call this a jumper. Oh, like a kind of like a romper, but like with pants or with long sleeves, like a one piece. Oh, okay. That's a jumper. Interesting. Okay, is, back to your Barbara, is that what you call a jumper? Yeah, it would be like a jumpsuit. Oh, oh, that's, you know, <laughs> I've been using the wrong word for like months. So once upon a time, I said jumpsuit. Oh yeah. Jumpsuit, like you're jumping out of a plane or something, right? That's where it comes from. Totally. But mine are like a little bit cuter. Yeah. I have to say, I like in your Instagram photos, you seem to do the the crop top really well. And it's something that I want to embrace, but sometimes I just don't know how to do it because I don't really like showing my belly button, but I don't mind showing my waist. You know what I mean? Crop tops have been my uniform of summer. I've been actually very into like the looser kind of baggy jeans with a little crop top. I don't know. Get, get used to your belly button. No one's thinking about your belly button. But just wear like super high waist, like high waist pants and then no one even sees it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you have an Audi? No. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) No, I don't. No disrespect to all the Audis out there. (laughs) Barbara, have you mastered the crop top thing? I have been known to wear a crop top here and there, but it's not like a frequent occurrence. But I do have a theory that people with fire energy like to wear crop tops, like to like show midriff. That's like a Leo season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure Tell is. us more. What what about the midriff? It's like fire in your belly or something? No, it's like bold. Um, especially Aries women, and I believe Antonia is an Aries Mars. And I just feel like the stomach is just such a such a like a lot of what, what's that uh, sacral chakra? Like a lot of our creative energy is from the sacral chakra, and that's like our stomachs. And I feel like people just like with fire energy just don't mind showing that off. I had no idea crop tops were written in my stars. <laughs> no, 
Everything is written in the stars, guys. Literally everything. Oh, actually, you know what? When I run, I do show a little bit of midriff, but I have really high uh, running shorts. So that's why I feel comfortable. But yeah. What is it about the belly button that you don't like? I know. I just think it's a dirty thing. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us more about that. What, what? dirty thing hmm. i don't know I, don't, I feel uncomfortable talking about it <laughs> i think it's like all something. the things that we've talked about your line <laughs> is the belly button right i feel like we just uncovered something i'm like what it just makes me think of an umbilical cord like they're gross you know like an umbilical cord and and then it um you cut it off and it dries up and then it's just like what's left no. Interesting. Uh-huh. Interesting. Have some- I don't know why everyone doesn't know this or think about that. And it's a, it's just dirty. Like you just clean it every now and then and find weird shit in there. <laughs> no. Once every five minutes for it's the rest of the episode, I'm going to bring up that Olivia finds weird shit in her belly button. <laughs> I need one. All right, moving on. We were talking about Antonia's relationship. For goodness sake, she's just really supposed to be uncomfortable right now. (laughs) What kind of weird shit do you find in your belly button? Well, like other people. You're pulling Legos out of there? No, like I'm a hairdresser. So like I have to make sure hair doesn't get in there. Like I'm I'm upset. I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) Like dead skin, fluff. I don't know. (laughs) Now, instead of picturing an Audi button, I'm just picturing you with like the most cavernous belly button on earth. Just like oh, I guess it has been stretched out before because um because I've been pregnant. So there you go. <laughs> okay, we can go back to me now. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> so um Antonia, um I don't know, what do you think about belly buttons? <laughs> with them yeah <laughs> I I personally like my belly button like I've always been pretty into it um I don't think too much about other people's belly buttons I guess if somebody has one that's particularly unique to what I'm used to seeing I'll be like oh that's a different belly button but that's probably the most thought I've given to anybody's belly button but mine's pretty great thanks for coming to my TED talk Antonia It seems like you and your girlfriend have put in like a lot of structure in your relationship, which I find really interesting and unique. I don't hear that often. Would you like to talk about that? Structure like in seeing each other? Well, it just sounds like there's a lot of communication about your relationship, your monogamy, your steps. And I know your partner has kids, so maybe that's a big part of it. But it's just interesting to me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is the most, well, let's start with, this is the first time that I've dated somebody who's communicative. This is the first time that I've dated somebody who's an optimist, which is a weird thing to say. Yes, uh, my girlfriend has kids. So I think that that brings in like an extra layer of communication. Um, I think from her side, because she wants to make sure that she's with somebody that likes kids and is going to want to be a bonus parent of sorts to her kids. I think from my side, because I have always thought that I myself might want to carry a kid and, you know, making sure that that's still in her future on her mind. So anyway, 
I think very early on, we were having some bigger conversations, making sure that we're on the same page, planning dates much more because, you know, she's got custody half the time and all that. But then I think that that like made us sort of deeper and stronger and happier earlier on. Like we just knew so much that we were on the same page and wanting the same things. That's it. Is this the first time you've dated someone who has kids? I have, yeah, I guess I went on one date years ago with somebody who had kids, but like it just didn't go anywhere. But yeah, I I guess so. Um, I was probably a little bit, I don't know, nervous at first, but like not necessarily about the kids. I think it just feels like a little more real. I don't know. Is there any pressure you think on you for the kids to like you? Do you feel like, oh my God, I need them to love me? (laughs) Um, I think the biggest pressure that I feel comes from comes from a lot of my own like childhood stuff. So my mom, when she used to date, very quickly introduced us to people that she was dating, very quickly told us that like they had cut to the front of the line in terms of like importance and priority. You know, that was really hard for me as a kid. And so I think that my biggest concern is about however it is that I'm, you know, introduced to the kids and and kind of integrated into life that it's like still emphasizing that they're a priority, they're important, you know, and, and uh, just making sure that we set like the right foundation. Uh, so it's a little less about, you know, oh, hoping that they like, like me today, but more about how do we make sure that we do the right things today that are like setting us up for tomorrow. And so I've, I've met her kids, um, I would say a handful of times now, very much as like, this is mom's friend and just trying to, I don't know, like just do normal things, but, um, you know, we're not affectionate in front of the kids yet, you know, trying to figure out what's the best way to, to have those conversations with them. They're really young, you know, they only kind of get it. Is that hard to not be affectionate with your partner? I mean, not, not really. I think if it were a year from now or two years from now, and we still had to, you know, not be affectionate, it would be different. I think, I think for us, we're still just like enjoying this time so much, you know, and yeah, it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like I'm being hidden. It just feels like, you know, we're doing the right things for the kids in the moment. We're still playful. We're still, you know, all of these other things. We're just not like making out in front of the kids and that's perfectly okay. (laughs) Yeah, that that sounds like pretty normal. And it sounds like you guys are being thoughtful. Is it like completely a new experience, though? Like you feel like this relationship is like a brand new world for you? First time you're with someone who can communicate, seeing someone with kids and taking your time. Like, is this like a whole new thing? Yeah, I think everything about this relationship is new. First time dating someone with kids, first time dating somebody who can communicate, first time dating an optimist, first time dating somebody who's out to their family. That's an experience that I've never had. And so I've met some of her family. They're so nice. Everything about this is different and like easy, I would almost say. And that's not to say, because I've been in like relationships before where they're easy, but they're easy because we don't talk about any of the big stuff. They're easy because we're not really going anywhere. But this is like easy in a way where I'm just not worried to bring up the big stuff. Like I know it's going to be received and I know I'm not going to be like judged or, you know, it's not going to be like held on for like held on to for later. Yeah. And it's just like an incredible experience. What does your girlfriend bring out in you? 
Can you elaborate on that question? Yeah, I just think in my experience in a healthy relationship, when you're able to be yourself, you can sometimes discover something about yourself that your maybe your partner brings out. Um, I think, I mean, for sure, because she's like kind of nicer than I am and happier than even like my baseline. I think that uh, she brings out like a nicer side of myself. That's for sure. She is really like goofy and silly. And I think we can be like really goofy and silly together. I don't know, probably stuff like that. Is she softening you up? Like you feel like you're a softer person? Yeah, I guess that would be the way to say it. But I don't know if soft is ever a um, like an adjective I've aspired to be. So I'll have to think about how I feel about that. Soft is nice. That's that's a compliment, you know. Good for you. Thank you. (laughs) Why is that something you've never aspired to be? What does soft mean to you? I think, especially in my younger years, I would have more closely attributed soft to weak. And so I think, you know, so much of what I used to aspire to be, it was like tough and strong and hardworking and like, don't let things phase me or push through whatever it is. That's probably how at one time in my life I thought about soft, but I have gotten used to over the years, like getting more comfortable with vulnerability, being more, I don't know, open about my feelings with myself and, you know, what's really at the root of them. So I think I'm a little more open to soft. And I feel like there are so many things that I wanted to accomplish in my life that I either have accomplished or I've like been in a place where I'm ready to. And I realized like that wasn't the right thing, but it's, I'm secure enough in myself to say like, I don't need to be hard or tough or push through all the time. That's awesome. Sounds like we all need one of her. That's awesome. (laughs) Never quite been like grilled about my relationship like this before. It's kind of fun. It is fun. It felt like a deeply personal question session for a sec there. (laughs) Yeah, I got spotlighted. (laughs) All right. So what do we think about monogamy in general? I'll go. Um, monogamy for me is when you commit to one person and you work at being vulnerable with that person, available to that person, devoted to that one person. And as much as I can understand and rationalize polyamory and people who want to see multiple people. And I feel like everyone is in their right to do what they want. I think there's something very beautiful about monogamy where it feels like you're chosen every single time that person is choosing you. And even though one person can't meet every one of your needs, it's beautiful to see that person trying to meet your needs and, you know, just like a consistency that's just, for me, consistency is, is beautiful. It's sexy. It's, it's everything. So yeah, I just feel like monogamy is, it's the thing for me, but um, yeah, I can understand other ways of doing it. I am also pro monogamy. I, I agree with so much of what Barbara said. It's about committing yourself to one person and, together you guys are just one team you know navigating through everything together yeah I also agree with both of you and I think monogamy has to have a foundation of trust and you're making decisions 
together for each other. And I think for my monogamous relationship, I think it worked because when we got together, it felt very free at the start. Like we really took our time, I think, like making um, commitments to each other, steps of commitment in a way. So I think sometimes like there's a traditional, there could be like, I think there's always a version of it, like a traditional steps that you take in a relationship. And I think that they can serve a purpose because it's building confidence in the relationship and they're kind of steps of trust. So, yeah, yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. And then the other thing about monogamy is I feel like you get to you get to grow with someone, you know, we're different versions of ourselves, you know, day to day, year to year. And it's just I think the most beautiful thing to watch someone that you're in love with go from, you know, one version of themselves to the next and you get to, you know, relearn that person every time. And it's it's I think the most beautiful thing to experience. Yeah. Well, we see in Sex in the City, like dating is exhausting. It takes a lot of energy looking for your mate, if that's your goal, right? It's like extra grooming. It's extra going out, dating and, you know, psychoanalyzing all your experiences on those dates. And when you do feel safe in a relationship, I think you can focus on other things. I mean, dating is exhausting. I will... (laughs) I will give you that. It is. Sometimes it feels like an interview. It really, like, I went on a date just last weekend and it was nice. I had a good time. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like sometimes it, it's draining if you're going on too many and too many different people. And it's like, oh, you just want to find one person that you connect with and focus. You know, this just the way that you described it as an interview brought up a question for me, which is how early do you guys ask like the big questions on a date? So things like future goals, if they want kids, if they're going to therapy, what their trauma is, how many dates until you ask those questions? I know I can be intense. So I try to hold back (laughs) until like maybe second or third. (laughs) Second is soon, but second or third. I would say I'm also in that camp. And for sure, some of those things have come up on a first date too. Like, oh, can you tell me about this childhood experience? Or like, so do you want kids? How do you feel about marriage? But I also try to be normal about it and wait a little bit if I can. Um, I was in a clubhouse room once where people were, they basically were saying like people in LA are a different breed. The fact that we talk about that at all. They were like, even when I'm in a committed relationship with people, it's hard for me to really talk about these things or talk about, you know, childhood stuff or therapy. And I was like, oh, that feels like the most normal thing. What do you mean you're not asking these questions? If you're not in therapy, we're not in a relationship. (laughs) Right. Oh, my God. That's the new thing for me, too. I ask almost anybody that I feel like remotely into, like, are you in therapy? And if they say no, it kind of changes my opinion of them somehow. It's just like how and I guess, you know, let me say maybe if you've done a lot of therapy, you don't need to be actively in therapy. But how is it that you work through the things that come up in your life? What are your communication tactics? Tell me how you have worked. You know, tell me how you've been through these things because how are you going to be able to navigate the issues that come up in our relationship if you're not able to navigate anything that's happened before? Exactly. Olivia? Yeah, well, 
feel like the only person I really dated was Sam. And I was just thinking about when we first got together. And I think three weeks in, we literally had our children's names picked out. (laughs) But it did still feel like a a courting time. Um, The first couple of weeks, we were living in a hostel together. So we were together all the time and we're kind of in a bubble. Um, so it just felt like really intense. Like it felt like we got three months of work done in three weeks. Cause we just spent every spare moment together, but we did a lot of walking and at the start, we walked around a lot. We were in the city of London, so there was a lot to see. It was a really picturesque background for our dating season. We did actually wait a little bit before we slept together, which was probably only two weeks, but it felt like a long time in that in that scenario um, because it was a little bit of a hookup culture. That I think that helped us. Yeah. I mean, at the start, it was very free because I was Australian. He's Canadian. We're in England for a short amount of time with uh, limited visas. And we kind of said to each other, I mean, we're a bit scared to get into a relationship, but we said, you know what, we're we're just going to live in the moment. We're enjoying ourselves at the moment and we'll deal with the future when it arrives. And we kind of almost made a commitment to each other to not hold each other back and know that this could have an expiry date. And then three months into dating, we had another conversation where we said, no, this is, this is real. This is the best thing that's ever happened. And um, we're going to design our lives around each other. And then three months later, I got pregnant. So that became reality. <laughs> so um yeah the the dating process was pretty short but it was very intense and I think it actually set up our relationship really well in that time we got to know each other pretty well that's the end I <laughs> uh, no that sounds like a long time to me two weeks to wait to like get intimate to have sex actually yeah because this like this is a hookup culture and two weeks sounds like months to me right now so that's that's good for you guys anything great I say takes time and I feel like that speaks to monogamy as well like you want to build something strong like you want to have like a strong foundation it's going to take time consistency and monogamy we didn't wait two weeks Ooh, how long did you wait Antonia <laughs> not two weeks <laughs> all right I want to know what is a night out for you girls if you're going to go for a night out to party do you go clubbing do I don't know what does a night out look like for you pre-pandemic I guess it would consist of me being dragged out because like I'm such a homebody so um I would just get dragged to wherever my friends were deciding that that they wanted to go usually it was clubbing but as we got older that changed it started to become more like day events day parties brunches And then, like, if it's the evening, then, like, we would do dinner, movie, outside theater things. But clubbing is less and less of a priority these days. Yeah, I definitely used to club in my younger years. But these days, I would say a night out might look... I guess I've got two types of nights out. So one version is going to West Hollywood. 
going to all the like gay bars, just kind of bouncing around, seeing my friends, having drinks. And I guess another slightly more refined version would just be going out to like a nice bar. We have so many like mixology, schmancy cocktail bars around. So going to a nicer bar and just like chilling, seeing the scene. We have some great rooftop bars in LA and like beautiful patios all over town too. It's been a while since I really feel like I've been out. Um, I think going out for me, it often involves a lot of alcohol. There's like pre-drinks, there's going before we leave, there's going to like a microbrewery and having beers. And then there's going to a fancy restaurant and getting maybe a cocktail and then a bottle of wine and just seeing how it goes. So yeah, a lot of alcohol all the time, which yeah. Anyway, um, I have to be careful with a pregame. Like I'm a lightweight, I'm a pretty small person. I have to pace myself. Yeah. I'm just, I I love to party. So I'm always like, yeah, yeah. And I'm always encouraging people. And then, yeah, I wipe myself out. So dumb. What are your like go-to drinks? Well, lately it's been a lot of just beer and wine. Yeah. I do love ordering a Cosmopolitan though. I get bagged by my husband because he was a mixologist for a long time. He, he does make pretty good cocktails. I love an amaretto sour. That's my favorite drink. Yeah? It's barely a drink, but yeah, it's my favorite thing. I'm not even positive what that is. It's pretty much yeah. sweet. Yeah. Oh, I, I hate it already. No, but it's amaretto. So it's an almondy taste, I think. And uh, it's just heaps of lemon juice. I guess there's sugar in it. Yeah. It's, it's basically... Um, the amaretto, which is a liqueur um, with some, is it? Yeah, it's like lemon juice. Yeah, it does definitely have some sugar in it. It's that mixed together and it's it's just, it tastes like sweet adult juice. Interesting description. If, <laughs> if I'm at like a, a cocktail bar, I'll usually look for some kind of like a mezcal drink or maybe a, a spicy tequila drink, something like that. If I'm just like out at the bar or out in West Hollywood, vodka sodas all night long. I don't really like vodka. I can't do vodka anymore. I think I overdid the vodka when I was young. I think everyone has an alcohol that they've overdone and they can't do anymore, right? I have, I wouldn't say things that I've overdone, but there's definitely like things that I made like mistakes on by drinking too much in my younger years. So like Jaeger, which I already think would think is like, which I would think is disgusting anyway, uh, now just gives me memories of like drinking way too much and getting sick when I was like 18. I would say like whiskey and gin, some of those are just more risky drinks for me. Like it's more likely that I'll drink too much or like pick a fight if I have one of those. So I usually stay away. Tequila, mezcal, those are like pretty safe, especially if it's like in a nicer drink. And then vodka is, I know exactly how much to drink. I know exactly how I'll feel. It's just like my safest, chillest alcohol. What happens when Antonia picks a fight? Pick a fight with me, Antonia. Go. I was going to say, it's not going to be like a physical fight. It's either going to be about like politics. It's going to be about like, some emotional, you know, something. It's not like, I'm not picking a fight. I just get like argumentative, like, well, the homeless problem in LA because blah, 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 blah. Or like, no, because if, you know, you vote this, then blah. Like I just get 
I become that person. It's not cute. Yeah, I don't I don't really drink, but this is very amusing. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to pick a fight with you, Antonia. No. That. People people are like, "Oh, I I just came out for a good time." Like, we don't we don't need to do this now if you want to have lunch sometime. I'm like, "No, we need to settle this immediately." I I would love to fight more, but I don't know what about. <laughs> This down. What is this thing with you and fighting? I want to fight more. <laughs> what is this? Maybe it's a I'm imagining, fire. Like I'm imagining Olivia joining a fight club now. <laughs> yeah, actually, Melody and Sam they do go to a fight club. It's called Nordic Fight Club, and they do mixed martial arts. And I'm thinking of joining them. You know, that would be excellent for you, actually, because the way you talk about wanting to fight, like, I feel like you could get some real, like, angst out. Like, you could really use some, like, something to punch. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I am, like, a physical person, and I would like to fight some people. (laughs) (laughs) You guys, Olivia's, like... Five, four, a hundred and five. <laughs> Who are you fighting? I'm very strong. <laughs> I work out. My imagination is spinning off in so many directions right now. It's incredible. I love it. No, I'm I'm going to do a, a fight class for sure. And I'll tell you about it. Mm. Okay, good. We're moving on now to... Episode seven, The Monogamists. Maybe that's why I want to fight so much. I drink so much coffee. <clears throat> fight up. Olivia, if you come to LA, I'll fight you. All right, cool. <laughs> Record this and send it to me. Record it. Every you got to come too. Oh my God. The people who are present get to see the fight. <laughs> I'd probably get like pissed off if I got hurt though. <laughs> you know? <laughs> open-handed only no fists <laughs> oh god i'd have to cut my nails <laughs> don't my mess with my face <laughs> yeah maybe we can just do a race <laughs> an anyway. obstacle course yeah that'd be fun <laughs> Are you athletic? Anyway, by the episode way? seven. Yeah, Me. sorry. Are you athletic, um, Barbara? Do you do sport? No, I don't. Not really. I'm very, very chill, guys. Cool. Good for you. I am right. both athletic and competitive. <laughs> I'm. I like playing with people who are competitive. <laughs> I'm not actually competitive. I don't really give a shit, but I can pretend to be competitive, and it pisses people who are competitive off. <laughs> Hit me. I'm a shit stirrer. So is it safe to say you like to, yeah, you like to stir the pot? I do. I find it, it's my own comedy. Sorry. Olivia is always low-key trying to fight. She's just doing whatever (laughs) she can to make someone fight her. Episode seven, The Monogamists. So we start with a montage of Carrie and Big being in a love bubble of their own. Carrie says to Miranda that she can't remember the last time she's been hit that hard. Carrie has forgotten her friends in a state of completely being consumed in her relationship. Many of us have been there. It's like the rest of the world doesn't exist. 
When Carrie does eventually get together with her friends, she's expecting to get reprimanded, but it's okay. They're good friends. They understand what's going on, but Carrie has a lot to catch up on with the girls. Miranda has worked on a successful new merger. Samantha is obsessed with looking for a new apartment and Charlotte is practically engaged to Michael Conway, who apparently comes from a good New York family and has a really cute dog. Charlotte confesses uh, that there is a blowjob tug of war going on with Michael, which is really triggering to me, actually. I was horrified at this scene. Okay. I don't know about you, but I was triggered by the fact that he was touching her head. That is a rule in my relationship that you don't touch my head. Is that a thing for other people or just me? Um, the, the head thing is a thing for black women, period, because hair issues, hair stuff, it's, it's that. And then also, yeah, I don't know that I enjoy that either. I don't know. Do people like when people are pressing their heads down to, I don't think anyone would like that. So I guess it's, yeah, I don't know that that's a thing people enjoy. It's horrible. And actually Sam told me that in fighting, in, I don't know what it is, jujitsu or something like that. Um, that is a way to like control someone is to touch them by their head. And I was like, oh, I get it. Anyway, I don't like it at all. It's a rule. I get pissed off if um, Sam touches my head when we're being intimate, especially. So poor Charlotte, she just doesn't like uh, giving head jobs. Who can blame her? The poor thing. <laughs> Shit, she doesn't like it. I don't know why people assume that well, especially women, but people actually like giving head. And I don't know why people assume that they also like receiving. Like, I don't know about you, but for me, I like to be very clean and I'm not always up for receiving that. If I was, maybe I'd agree with Miranda. She says she only gives head to get head and Samantha nods approval as well. Okay. No comment. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I, I enjoy both giving and receiving. That's all. Good for you. I, I just find actually there's other ways I prefer getting off like with hand jobs. <laughs> Saying these words, like it's like worse than swear words coming out of my mouth. All right. Head job, hand job, fingering. Ew. Barbara, what's, um, what's your face? Oh, an email came in. It was, <laughs> I'm like, you look absolutely perplexed. I was like, oh, this girl has some material around hand jobs. <laughs> no, but yes, I like hand things. I like oral things. I like all the things. So, <laughs> yeah, I like all the things too. But yeah, at, at the moment, I've got an affinity for hand jobs. Um, so montage from the local New Yorkers. Tom says, I've been monogamous for over a year now. It's been wonderfully fulfilling, though my de definition of monogamy includes sex with prostitutes. Good for you, Tom. Someone else says, the problem with monogamy is that it's just so incredibly dull. Another man in the park says he practices a 90s version of monogamy where he doesn't exchange fluids or phone numbers. Another person says monogamy is fabulous. It gives you a deep and profound connection to another human being and you don't have to shave your legs as much. Um, of course I'm a monogamist. Why? What have you heard? I got laser hair removal so I wouldn't have to shave my legs as much. Beat the system. I <laughs> How long does that last? Um, so I'm like still in the middle of my like sessions now. Yeah, I think the idea is like you end up going in for like one kind of maintenance thing 
per year forever, but otherwise like it just lasts even already like a couple sessions in such a difference. And if like, I don't shave my legs for a couple days, like now my girlfriend won't really notice where I don't know. I'm Italian. I'm Jewish. Like I'm naturally a pretty hairy person. (laughs) It used to matter and not, sorry, it used to matter not for like aesthetics or like anything like that, but like, because it was painful or like uncomfortable, like I'm spiky. I don't think I can do laser hair removal because I'm so blonde, but I am hairy as well. And that's because I'm Scottish. So it's a different type of hairy. Yeah, I think it's, I think for laser, it works specifically on darker and thicker hair, but I I recommend it. Like it's been a game changer for anyone who can get it, who wants to. I love making my own sugar wax though. I do that every now and then. And I use that for my arms and my bikini actually as well. Have you ever done that? It's so, I mean, I would say it's easy because it's only sugar, lemon juice, water, and a bit of salt, but it's about the consistency and it takes quite a bit of practice to get it right. But I've been doing that since I was a teenager, but I shave my legs all the time, pretty much every day in the shower. I just do it once over, but laser hair removal sounds great. Samantha's real estate agent, Pamela pleads her not to work with any other broker. Samantha doesn't believe in monogamy, especially when it comes to real estate. Although Pamela has the hottest contacts in town, Rick did have a slight competitive edge. He gave her the opportunity to combine her two greatest loves, sex and real estate. As the girls get up from their table, At the end of dinner, Carrie realizes that Big is at the same restaurant and Carrie gets giddy wanting to introduce her girls to him. But it turns out that he was kind of on a date. Eek. I felt so bad for Carrie in that moment. So Big seemed to be happily dating another woman like it's the most natural thing in the world. I like I could feel my stomach sort of sink in that moment the way that hers was like just yeah the worst feeling. I just didn't like the way he gaslit her the previous episode when he was all you know acting like yeah like it's I'm dating you and then cut to this episode he's on a date with someone else. Okay. Yeah, that was shocking. I didn't like that feeling (laughs) and I felt the like embarrassment and the heat in Carrie at that moment. So Carrie goes out with Stanford, though he's not particularly reassuring about the need for monogamy in a relationship. He seems to think monogamy is old fashioned and uh, Stanford introduces Carrie to Jared, who was voted one of the top sexiest people under 30 in New York City. Uh, Later, Carrie has a phone call with Big. They're organizing their next date. And he uses the sentence, I miss you, baby. That seems to be confusing to Carrie. She decides to dissect this with Miranda while out to dinner. What does Big mean? Could he possibly be apologizing for going out with other women? No, because if his messages are cryptic, then that puts everything into question that he's ever said. Poor Carrie. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's pretty lame for him to just kind of say that or like weak. It sounds like he just wants attention. Sounds like he needs attention, I guess. He wants, like he wants to know that she's there as an option, but doesn't actually want to commit now. Yeah, basically. I think he's just too used to being a playboy and he's just enjoying everything that he's got with Carrie, but not taking it seriously or not really putting her feelings into account and showing a bit of an ugly side of him, I think. Skipper passes by with his new girlfriend in arm, Alison, who works in designer relations at Vogue. 
and Miranda is fixated on her. A new light seems to shine on Skipper for Miranda now that he is desired by another woman. She decides to call him later that night and Skipper and his girlfriend were actually having sex. Uh, Skipper took the call mid-penetration, mid-root, mid-lovemaking and took Miranda saying that he looked good and they should go out sometime as wanting him back. And after he hung up without even finishing, he says to Alison, sorry, but the love of my life just called and wants me back. And then the best line of this episode, are you breaking up with me while you're still inside of me? Horrifying. Absolutely horrifying. First off from Skipper's side, like just like, I guess, disgusting and terrible and disrespectful. And then from Miranda's side, I think I'm not going to say that I didn't understand her because I know that in my younger years, especially when I was like insecure about myself, if somebody else was dating somebody to me, there was a message in that that said, oh, okay, so this person's desirable and they are worth me desiring, if that makes sense. So I got it. But like, girl, control yourself. You're a grown up. Yeah. I mean, for me, the whole thing was I didn't like the way she just like played Skipper. Like she knows that he's like wrapped around her finger and he's finally like at least trying appears to be moving on. And then you pull something like that and you know, you're not interested in him for anything other than sex. And you know, he's interested in you for more. I just think that was pretty selfish. Yeah. It's classic wanting something that you suddenly can't have. So Carrie is at a party with Big's friends and Carrie is getting a better picture of the playboy that she's dating. They get into, I mean, it wasn't really a confrontation. I don't know what to call it. A little bit of a tiff. Mm -hmm. Yes. I like that. But their relationship being challenged already feeling rocky doesn't seem to stand a chance. Carrie leaves to go find that fabulous party sexy Jared invited her to yesterday. And then uh, Miranda and Skipper are pillow talking. Skipper is tickling Miranda's forearm affectionately and confesses what he did the other night, ending it with Alison the minute Miranda called while he was still inside her. Miranda says that Skipper needn't have done that. Uh, Skipper is sick of being jerked around. He's not Miranda's private stud horse. He's not a dialer fuck. It's monogamy or nothing for him. Go Skipper. <laughs> Cut to Charlotte and Michael. Earlier that evening, they had solidified their relationship by mutually agreeing to be monogamous. Michael can't believe how perfect Charlotte is. She's got brains, great taste, and is really sexy. Then he tries to shove Charlotte's head down, initiating another head job. Or I don't know, maybe he hasn't. <laughs> she's still trying to get her to give him a head job. And Charlotte gives him a testy look. Uh, could this scene be in a show these days? Like I was so triggered. I was wondering that because it was off. Is that not off shoving someone's head down? I mean, I, I don't think it could be in a show without being acknowledged, but I could still see it existing in a show. Also, do you call it a head job, a hair job? What are you calling it? A head, a head job. Is it my accent? Head job. <laughs> I guess like, what do you call it? I guess we call it like a blow job. Blow job. Yeah. 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 I've never heard head job. Like I've heard giving head. Yes. But I've never heard head job. Is that what they call it in Australia? Yeah. It's definitely a, a term for it. Yes. But 
blowjob. Yeah, blowjob is more American. That's okay. We can uh, do blowjob. Uh, no, no, we don't have to do either. I'm just, I'm just fascinated. Okay, head job. Yeah, no, I want to be worldly. We can call it a head job. Uh, yeah, a blowjob is actually sounds a little bit nicer than than head. Sorry, I just had like a revelation. I was like, oh, I didn't really put together that it's called a head job because it's just like literally like it's like hand job is with your hand, a head job is with your head, and somehow I did not. <laughs> get that (laughs) (laughs) that happened (laughs) it's so literal all right so anyway charlotte addresses the elephant in the room and confesses she doesn't like giving blowjobs michael says that if charlotte doesn't doesn't give him blowjobs he's going to have to find them somewhere else so see you later michael that's it He's gross. Okay. Gross. So real estate never sleeps in New York City. And Rick is showing Samantha an apartment at half past midnight, just when it went on the market. Rick and Sam start getting it on just when Pamela shows up. I can't believe you're working with another broker. She exclaims. I can't believe you weren't going to show me this apartment. Fires back Sam while Rick is cuffing her breasts. I love Samantha. She's perfect. She's shameless. Carrie is at the Luna Park Cafe party with Jared and a bunch of other under 30s. She calls Big from the bar. She tells him that there's some uh, someone young and successful wants, that wants to go home with her and he should come to the party now if he wants to see her. An obvious power play, but you know what? It works like a charm. Big shows up like a puppy and they argue about him being on the other side of the party for a bit, whatever, a metaphor, I guess, for their two different perspectives. Perspective is reality kind of thing. Uh, But anyway, they're there together showing up for one another standing still in a park at 3am in a city full of infinite options. There's not a better feeling than knowing that you only have one. So everything is right in the world again with Carrie and Big. You know, I do, I do kind of know that like, I, I like the, like in a city full of infinite options, there's no better feeling than knowing you only have one. I do love that feeling. That's all. I agree. It's nice to know you know, that you're secure in your relationships. That's, I feel like something everyone wants. So security. Yeah, I think it was a big step in their relationship, actually. And I think it was really Carrie standing up for herself, which good on her. She was ready to walk away from someone who was happy to just be a playboy. I think that she got the upper hand in this, this time. And it did kind of even reveal big to himself a little bit. Like he got to see what he looked like in Carrie's eyes, which is maybe the first time we saw that. So that's the end. Join us next time on us and our cities. Great. Thanks. I I didn't mean to cut you off. What were you going to (laughs) say? Nothing. (laughs) No, that's the perfect end. (laughs) I need to work on my monologue. I didn't write it very well this time.